Welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Sarah Schnett is our guest this week. Greetings, Sarah. Hello. My name is Rob Ray. I use the he, his gender pronoun, and uh, I run a tiny art space called Exoskeleton, and I'm an experienced director at an interactive agency here in Los Angeles. Hey, my name's Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist, educator, and DIY evangelist based out of Chicago, and I'm a he, his kind of guy. And I'm Sarah Schnad, and I'm a performance installation artist and a UX designer, and I'm currently working at uh, NASA Jet Propulsion Lab. Rob, did you want to kick it off? You, um, I feel like it seems that we've known Sarah for a similar number of years, but perhaps you two have spent more time together. Yeah, and I have a question about. I have a question that I have about your work. Uh, okay. Your artwork. Yes. Um. That I've always thought. I've. Always, I guess I've had this question for a long time, but oh, we awesome. really talked about it. So, so here we go. Um. Your work, to me, has a lot of overlap with what some people might call data visualization. Uh huh. Uh, uh, in that, uh, some, uh, data or process is made visible or alternately visible or alternately legible, um, through a sort of creative act or, uh, visual process like graphic design or 3d design or something like that. And, and so I, I, when I think about your work, I think about it attached to that that world but i also feel like there's there's like other components to it that um that sort of bend that in a way that to me is very interesting and i i assume that that's also that's very intentional on your part and i was just curious about maybe the other parts that sort of the other sort of components you use in your creative practice that overlap um, with like data visualization or something like that, if that's the phrase you would use for that. My training is in like, first of all, in, in sculpture and experimental choreography. And then from there to performance installation, making kind of large scale environments that have a really strong kind of through line of materiality and, uh, poetic gestures. So, um, I kind of, I kind of, uh, I feel like I take, like I'm very inspired by uh, patterns in data in various ways. Um, and, and in data visualization, I've been following that field and participating in, various, in it in various ways for quite a few years. Um, and in my artwork, I kind of my main motivation is to translate the things I find most fascinating and exciting about how data visualization um, gets at the essence of meta patterns in our culture and translate that into a spatial and material experience for people uh, to make it seem more real and exciting to people who aren't nerds like me, basically. Because um, uh, when you use like found materials and immersive spaces and a live experience uh, with an audience, I find that it it's 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 a very accessible um, 
and kind of gets at this intuitive place for people instead of it staying like to be instead of it being like a primarily intellectual experience which is often i think where people engage with data visualization yeah 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 that's that's a good point yeah, we uh, did Rob tell you that one of our recent episodes, we almost went with a challenge that was use the uh, Bin Laden computer file dump to create something interesting. Wow. It, as a data viz person, I'd be curious to see your take on it. Although I don't know that the um, that mega file is still available. I think it, yeah, it's never, it's still, I checked the other day and it still wasn't on. It might be now, but it's been weeks. It had to have been mirrored somewhere, right? I mean, isn't that the first thing that happens online? Yeah. Or, or does um, it would be hilarious if this is actually true. But does uh, the Wayback Machine scrape the uh, CIA website? Oh. <laughs> yeah, you'd think they'd have some firewall uh, for that. I don't know. You would think, yeah. man. But yeah. if um, if we have our Chelsea Mannings and our other exfiltrators that are just what was Chelsea Manning's thing like sneaking things out on DVDs labeled um, Beyonce or something like that? Oh, really? That's really That's cool. awesome. That's great. That's yeah, that was best. the extent yeah. of the hacking in that particular uh, was like a Sharpie and does <laughs> black, black DVDs. Yeah, this, but I digress. This, this is, okay, this is a related digression. So I'm Please. doing a series of u- user experience interviews right now at JPL mm-hmm. with a bunch of people working on a new mission there to go to Ooh. Europa, which is one of Jupiter's moons. And I was sitting in this mm-hmm. in this interview with another designer and she's an experimental musician turned UX designer. And, um, we're sitting there with this, uh, mission planner who makes, uh, machine learning systems to simulate the whole mission. And he's telling us about his, his work. And he's telling us, he's mentioned name dropping various tools that are used in his process and they are all acronyms. Mm. And then he says one, something. And she's like, wait a minute. Did you say Bay? Did you say B-A-E. <laughs> and he's like, um, yes. Yes, that was B-A-E. And she's like, oh, Bay, huh? Uh-huh. And he, and he didn't, he didn't even get it. <laughs> didn't click. So uh-huh. we had a, we had a Bay moment, the two of us, and he, That's he missed awesome. it. <laughs> so it was good. As in, yeah, Sarah, I was curious to hear about some of the JPL stuff too. Um, is that, cause I, I could certainly imagine connections between the work of yours I'm familiar with and jpl but um do you do you uh sort of mix those two things together your day job and your evening job as it were or are those pretty separate when it comes to concept and content um so far i feel like life is just doing it for me um mm-hmm. <laughs> uh the last big project that i made was uh called drafting universes and i i did i've done it in several several locations, but the most recent one was here in Los Angeles at an artist-run space in Highland Park called Adjunct Positions. Really great photographs, man. Great Thank photographs. you. Thank you. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and the piece is about technology, like being at the edge of our technology knowledge and thinking about measuring the universe as the most tangible yet absurd thing that we do to try and have a technological hubris as a species. And... And, um, and now I work somewhere where we do that. Um, so, so, so that's kind of trippy for me and happened in Mm -hmm. through a circuitous series of events. Um, and, you know, I was working, uh, 
I was working in artist professional development for years, which is how I know Rob, because he helped me build Chicago Artist Resource in Chicago through the Department of Cultural uh, of Affairs. And uh, mm-hmm. so I learned, yeah, <laughs> woo woo, and that was an awesome experience. Um, and, and so I, I worked in the arts and tech for a while um, alongside my art practice because I thought, well, gee, everything I do, I want it to just be directly related to my art. But then I discovered I have this other skill set, which evolves, has been evolving gradually over time. And eventually I realized that I was underutilized to stay in the arts from my, from my day job work. So for three years, I worked in civic tech outside of the arts. Uh, I did a project for a couple of years in digital journalism. That was a big civic data project, which for me was like car was like a city scale, uh, data technology project with artists artist resource and professional data. And then I did a two-year, actually two different projects that were a national scale, uh, civic data projects making uh, elections data available. And then the other one was making visualization interfaces for census data. And both projects were for journalists. Um, and then I worked for a year for a science-focused um, machine learning uh, startup uh, helping to design an authoring tool for data visualization for machine learning for science experiments. So I've been just like incrementally getting nerdier and nerdier and just seeing where the rabbit <laughs> hole goes. And then, yeah. and then, um, and then that, that startup being a startup and me being their first designer ever when they, when they had to do cutbacks, they laid me off because I was, I was, I was non-essential to them, <laughs> um, which was fine. Um, so I did a search and I decided to be extra imaginative with the search because my trajectory was on a really fascinating kind of line as it was. And one day I was just surfing Twitter and an acquaintance posted that their video startup had been put on a fast company, most innovative companies list. And I'm like, ooh, let's troll that list. And there was a section on space and I'm like, I like space <laughs> and then I looked and then this company was there called Planet Labs and I'm, and I'm like I checked them out and I looked at their website and it just looked like the most imaginative inspiring thing I could imagine like as an artist as a person as someone who cares about the direction of our planet it's a ex-NASA um, startup people who have invented a tiny satellite that um, you can put enough of them in orbit to image the whole planet every day and I became their first. Whoa. Yeah. So I was working there for a year <laughs> whilst they were getting up to speed with having that many satellites in space. And and then they use the imagery for things like tracking climate change in real time, um, various other things, disaster response, resource management of various kinds. And I helped them build a public-facing interface for exploring the imagery. So that was an amazing experience. Um, and then I got headhunted by JPL from there. Um, and that's how I ended up at JPL. So it's been like this kind of burgeoning second, like I have this like basically a, a double life. Uh, but everything about what I'm doing in tech is the content that I'm most fascinated by in my art practice as well. So, um, most of my work, uh, my artwork has been about the cultural impact of technology see change moments in various ways and trying to articulate them in very tangible ways um, that people can experience directly. So uh, being, being at JPL conceptually is like, is just like off the hilt for me in terms of stimulus and 
uh, things that could inspire me. But then I'm also uh, honestly having kind of an identity crisis because it's so much more than a day job. It's like, sure. it's like at least five times more interesting than any, probably more than that than anywhere else I've worked. And uh, the amount of intellectual growth uh, is, is really intense. And so I'm now kind of just exploring the fact that I'm this other thing whatever that is, who can understand aerospace engineers and collaborate with them on software for like a mission to like space <laughs> and also, and also be a designer. I'm sorry. And also be a, a an artist. So I don't know yet how it's going to circle back to my practice. Um, honestly, it, it's, it's, I've been there for four months now and I just, yeah. I just started working in the studio again for this exercise or for this project for the podcast yeah well (laughs) this is the kind of tale where i'm feeling kind of stressed out because i feel like so for me when we hang up it's going to be about midnight and i feel like oh after sarah's told her story i just have to stay up all night at work (laughs) 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 no no this is an entirely positive thing but yeah this is the effect that this podcast has we talk to so many interesting people yeah, You're like oh my god, why why aren't I working at JP? <laughs> <laughs> wow, <Or> Carter, <laughs> that's great. No, I, and I mean the, the way in which the um, ease with which you talk about even something that you're unsure about is really interesting too. I mean, it just I don't know. Like like Thank clearly, you. there's sure there's um, happenstance stuff. Clearly, you've also worked very hard. Yeah, and it's just cool to hear about that stuff being synthesized and just letting it happen. And I feel almost like, you know, I, I shouldn't characterize it in that way. Well, how does your day job relate to your not day job? Because you're, you're really looking at this sort of integrated approach and it brings it down to earth too much. Yuck, yuck, to, uh, to, to make it binary like that, you know? Well, that that's new. not having it be bi- binary is new for me too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. My follow-up question is now no longer a question because in, in a way, sir, I think you answered it. Okay. Um, but but also so maybe this is just an observation more than a question. But I think what it is that I was trying to work through is many of your installations do a really interesting thing at the edges, um, and I and I think it's maybe because you you think of them as installations as much as like sculptural objects, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something I challenge, I'm, I'm challenged by myself in my own work, which is you have a certain attentiveness to the edges of your work in space that is really interesting and, and feels really like just effective to me. And, and in some cases, it's been through the use of a, the mirror mm. uh, in a number of the pieces uh, that you've created and that the mirror is sort of used to create um, a kind of metaphorical loop or, or in, or, or infinite, you know? Yes. Um, and I was curious about, so maybe this is becoming a question. I was curious about that, I guess. And like how, how that works for you and sort of, it's it feels like a it's a it's definitely like a component that's come back into your work in a couple of places and i was just curious about that i think the first time that i used it was in my um my network 
installation series. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. For, for that series, I was interested in uh, creating a suspended branching structure that kind of mimicked the, the physical kind of structural shape of, of a networked online space, but have it be this giant gesture that cuts across an architecture that you can then also uh-huh. stand in the middle of. So I, in that one, I was using mirrored, mirrored tile to create bitmapped holes where the this network was actually, it, it looked like it just kept going beyond the edges of the space that you're yep. in to suggest that it was this yeah, continuous space. Yeah, and I remember space. feeling like that too. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was just like making this illusion of this continuation of space in a... Uh, in a, in a space that has a, a specific size. Um, and, and I like, I, I really liked using mirror also as a way of, cause I made that piece, I think six times altogether in different locations, ranging from a storefront to, uh, a couple different large gallery spaces to, uh, taking over a whole house. And I started to get really fascinated with just messing with perception of the space itself and playing off of all the formal lines in the space with the positioning of mirrors as well, like as a more of a formal study, um, in addition to like have that, having that conceptual intent for it. And then I used mirrors again in the, the drafting universe piece, um, because I wanted, it was similar intention of wanting to like create this infinite space in a smaller space. And I had that one. I did it. The first version was, didn't have any mirror in it. And it was just a surface on the floor. Um, and then the second version was like a miniature universe in a box where I had mirrored walls. So it was like this tiny space that became big when you kind of looked down and saw the edges from the inside. And then I did it as a whole immersive space with really big mirrors, um, in the, in the most recent version of it. Um, but I've, that material is now because I've spent so much time with it, um, doing different iterations of those couple of pieces that I, I'm really, I'm just really attracted to it and its, uh, its ability to just mess with your perception of depth and the space that you're in, and just make you observe all the, all the kind of the the formal qualities of a space in in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, thanks. That was that was. It's it's come up for me. I, it was like a thing I couldn't put my finger on, and then oh. we we're talking about space. Space, we got there. So, <laughs> <laughs> do you guys want to jump into projects? Sure. Yeah, let's talk project. And uh, and to start it off, uh, I totally cheated this time. All right. In in an attempt to swallow the frog. So I, I so our challenge is swallow the frog, which it is. I'm positive that more than. More people say this than me, but I don't know. Because uh, Rob, I think you were unfamiliar with the phrase when I brought it up. But just the the idea that um, you start the morning with a list of tasks and you do the one that seems the least uh, fun, right? Yep. Uh, or you know, and uh, interpret it however you want. I had never heard of it either. I, I looked it up and I saw that there's a Mark Twain quote about swallowing your frog first thing in the morning if you oh. have a, if you if you have a frog to swallow. Well, look look at me, Mister Intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and you and Mark Twain. <laughs> yeah, right. Quoting him without knowing it. The uh the but I think my favorite one of his is their lies, damn lies and statistics. I always really like that one. That's I like one. I like uh, the one uh you you learn things from swinging a cat by its tail that you can't learn any other way. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. He's a smart dude. Yeah. yeah wait, wait, wasn't his real name just like Joe Johnson or something? Because Mark Twain was a pseudonym, right? Yeah. S- Samuel Clemens was his real name. Oh. Way to pull that one out, dude. I, yeah. I thought you were a biologist, Rob. I grew up in the <laughs> South. It's like one of the few things we have to prop culture up in the South is Mark Twain. So. One, of the, one of the first places that Audrey ever took me when we went back to visit her kinfolk for the first time was to uh, Colonel Sanders' grave in Kentucky. Wow. It sets the tone. Yeah. <laughs> Is there like um, a big deep fryer and like is there man, is it shaped like hope. anything? Yeah, there's a there's a bronze there's just a bronze. I mean that, that dude like I think at the beginning of his chicken business he was like shooting competitors with a pistol and stuff. Yes, um, I'll, I'll see if <laughs> I can find people that. to a duel. Did, did you read about this? <laughs> no, there was there was no seriously there was some podcast. I think it was like the dawn of um, billboard advertising or something, and there was somebody putting up a billboard in his turf. And he just went down there and started like blasting away with a handgun <laughs> or something. <laughs> like it was much less wholesome than I think a contemporary corporate culture would have you believe. He's the colonel after all. It's true. All Although right, Taylor, there what, was, what you got? There's a. I'm going to do this last one. I'll, I'll have to find this link once my N is working on my keyboard. But the <laughs> um, there's a v, a little VR game you can download for free. I think. It's like the training for um, new yes. people working at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Have you heard about this? Oh, I have. Yeah, what yeah did, it's did great. Did you work on it or something? <laughs> no, but an, the I uh, I you know it was a sort of bigger agency that did do the work, and it's it's pretty weird and great. Yeah. So let me tell you guys. I will I will uh, digress no more. I'm cheating this week. So when I swallowed the frog, I picked something super boring but very important and um, effectively undocumentable. So I'm just going to tell you about it. <laughs> okay. So, oh. Yeah, yeah. So um, so I've been meaning for a long time to get my own uh, NAS box set up, uh, NAS or Network Attached Storage. Have you guys ever ever gotten into this before? No. It's it's basically like a um, an external hard drive on steroids. So for years and years and years, I've been having this issue where, you know, I would get different laptops at work and then be trying to... Uh, roll my archive downhill and and for anybody that works with video like we do of course you know just backing everything up to time machine doesn't really cut it yeah and so i've had over time you know these sort of just awful events where i'm trying to back things up and then trying to figure out if i've already copied over a folder so do i start naming folders after dates and all these kind of you know um, naming conventions come up and so forth so i finally figured this is it so I got online and I got this um, box from QNAP. Uh, the Synology <laughs> is another company, but, uh, but QNAP, uh, it's this little enclosure. Um, and you can generally have like two bays or four. Or the industrial ones have, you know, many more. You mean And then bays? I think I bought, <laughs> what's that, two bays? Bays. <laughs> yeah, two bays. You got to watch out having two bays at the same time, man. That's yeah, a, dangerous. Yeah. Let, me, let me tell you, when, when bay number one finds out you're, uh, you're raid striping bay number two, it, it all hell breaks loose, right? Not good. Not good. Yeah. So, so here are some of the things that I learned in this process, and, and I'll document this more fully for the website, but I'll be curious to see if other people try this. So one of the first things is that if you guys are like me, you're probably backing up at least in some places where you're just syncing, right? So you have like Google Drive or something like that. Um, but a lot of these sites online will tell you that just syncing is no good because if you ever make a mistake in area number one, then that mistake gets propagated through all the other territories. 
So even though your data does seem to be in multiple places, it's not like a backup truly. So if you get a NAS box, you have one hard drive in there, as in the case with a two-base setup. I got a four terabyte drive mm -hmm. for, like, for like 100 bucks or something. It just blows my mind. Yeah. So you put in these two four terabyte drives, and then you set up a RAID setup, and there's a bunch of different kinds of RAID. So I think RAID number one is the type of RAID where it's just mirroring the drive. Mm -hmm. So I'll be working on my laptop, and then I tell Time Machine to automatically be backing up my laptop. Time Machine automatically looks for the network attached storage, which is just sitting online all the time in my local network. And then it's just constantly dribbling these backups back to one of the disks. And then RAID 1 means that it's already always mirroring over to the other disk, right? So there's two, if one of those hard drives fails, then that data will be kept on the other one in the exact same condition. With me so far? Yep. Yeah, super boring, right? But really important. So so you have these guys mirroring each other, so you're preventing a single drive going down is causing a problem. But if the controller board goes down on the um, NAS box, then that means that everything gets hosed anyway on both drives. So then I also set up with iDrive, which is a company that allows you to back up to cloud storage. So in addition to these RAID drives mirroring each other at home, uh, every night it's scheduled between like midnight at 8 a.m. to always be sending its data up to a service like iDrive. There's a bunch of services that won't let you do this with a NAS box because then you could back up like 50 computers at once to the central service. Right. Uh, so you have to find a service that is okay with NAS boxes. So this like this was all really hard-won information for me because I just had no idea where to start. <laughs> it was really intimidating. So I got the box, got the drives, then I had to figure out um, how to get my router to talk to those guys. Uh, I needed a PNP router or a plug-and-play router that could um, have its settings altered by other devices like the NAS box. The NAS that I got is really noisy, so it sounds like you're constantly rolling a bunch of ball bearings around at the bottom of a can, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is because it's such a huge disk, right? Like there's so, there's, I think there's like five platters in there or something. So then I had to get one of those um, Ethernet signals over AC power adapters so that I could stick the thing in my basement and have it communicate with the network. Have you guys ever played with this stuff before? Wow. No, I, I've heard of it, but I've never tried that. Yeah. Uh, not, not, not totally like that, but we're figuring out how to download and store and archive and have dupes of data for, yes. the, for the mission right now and diagramming it. Oh, yeah. And, discussing Ooh. it in great detail so it's i'm feeling a certain kind of uncanny <laughs> similarity right now as you're yeah. describing this process <laughs> so what's the thing here so i got the box uh -huh. noisy as hell stuck it in the basement no wi-fi signal then had to get these little bricks where i plug one in in the basement and i plug one in next to my router and then it acts like an ethernet cable kind of um figured the raid stuff out figured the PNP stuff out for the router itself. And then also I set up, set it up as a, um, uh, ver uh, wait, wait, what's, what's tunneling? What's the acronym for that? A, a VN virtual uh, private network. Yes. Yes. A VPN. So without a NAS box, if you want a virtual private network, like if you want to do banking at the coffee shop or something, you need to pay an organization to do that. But if you have effectively a server sitting at home, that's always on, 
you can actually use the NAS box as a VPN. So now I can go to the coffee shop and then through Open, OpenVPN and TunnelBlick, I can tunnel into my home network and then pull down all these files. So all the hardware got set up, and then I started putting like 4 billion pictures of my kid on there, which I'm, <laughs> which I'm like uh, organizing through um, Adobe Bridge with uh, tags and all that stuff. And then all of my artwork is going on there too, because I was having this problem where I would back things up, but all my projects are ongoing. So it's like I would pull a folder for project A and then work on it on this computer and that computer, and then I wouldn't know how to put those files back together to archive them for next time, right? So now they're all going into this central place, and I effectively kind of like GitHub or whatever, I'm sort of checking that project out and messing with it and then copies of it are always going up to the cloud service and getting backed up in the RAID mirror. Anyway, all this is to say, <laughs> I knew I knew that I needed to do that for years and years, and probably you guys do too, and so many people that are listening. Like, this is yeah. the first time I've really had an actual backup that's that hopefully will work the way it's supposed to work. So if one of the drives goes down, it should still be fine. I can just hot swap a drive. If the whole thing blows up or if my house burns down, then iDrive will supposedly um, send me a new hard drive by messenger service. And yeah. so I just take yep. that, download all the stuff, and then ship them back the drive, and then, it, and then they refund the cost. So it totally sucked. I have so much more work to do on it, but I feel, I feel so much uh, more secure, like more secure than I have in years and years, because I've been you know, dependent on my drives not crashing for like 20 years now. Um, so that was my frog swallowing. There you go. <laughs> wow that's that's really overcoming a lot of things that would feel daunting to most people oh my god i think Did oh my ever. gosh like that was a lot of steps like a lot of steps <laughs> <laughs> so i'm gonna write it, i'm gonna write it all out for anybody that wants to uh try it as well i just need to figure out what i need to avoid so that somebody can't just like hack my my network attached storage <laughs> and, and, cook, and kill my stuff anyway so that's oh, it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Wow. Thanks, man. Uh, Sarah, do you have any questions for Taylor? Um, I'm curious if if you, given that you got you guys do this every two weeks, do you um, find that you want to extend it to your life? In, like, I feel like you're extending this challenge into your life with this one. Oh, sure. Do you do you do you take that opportunity often given that you're you're doing this really interesting challenge every two weeks as part of running this podcast? Yeah, I think we're almost we're almost to a year and uh Rob and I have been talking about this. It's been really hard. Um and there's some that we put you know, some you put more time and effort to and some you put less. So in some of these weeks I, I guess I'm finding that if I can hit something that's integrated, like this project, mm. I can sort of, I can allow myself to take more time on it. And then in other cases, I'll say, okay, I'm going to give this one day and I have to just hit this as hard as possible and let it happen. So in our last podcast, um, I made a video using a loaf of bread. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you're going to film that bread and it's going to look like this. And, you know, like you can allow yourself to make certain creative distinctions, but then the other parts you have to say, dude, this thing that you're trying to do, no one's going to notice and it's going to expand you know, the project another 12 hours. Um, um, yeah. But, but yeah, I think as we approach the year mark, 
Rob and I are really going to have to wrestle with this question of how can we um, keep making an, a podcast that's interesting and engaging without it just completely occupying you know every every bit of free time. Yeah, it yeah, sounds like think, a Rob? good good challenge. Yeah, Rob, what do you think? Yeah, it's tough. Um I yeah, I I as someone who many people in my life think like, "Oh, Rob's a computer guy." I get the the how do I back up my stuff question sure. really really often. And often also because <laughs> um there's a number of photographers who I have worked with in the past and stuff, and they, you know, their <laughs> livelihood are, you, is essentially you just have digital worked files. With quote unquote, yeah. <laughs> didn't you exclusively date photographers for like a decade or more? <laughs> no, no, only, only that was just it was a circumstance. But I ended up um, being on the board of a of a photo agency, uh, and and uh, and so you know they're just like, oh, oh, you're a computer guy. I got yeah. I got all these files and you're just like, oh no, here we go. I know what they're gonna ask me. They're gonna be like, How should I be backing them up? And they all have, you know, similar systems to what you have. Um like most of them I think Drobo does a lot of marketing towards um like digital professionals, you know, photographers, yeah. videographers, et cetera. So a lot of people have those. Um But it's super important. I mean, I just blew a drive last week and I really? I use I have the super manual version of what you do. Um, I use a program called rsync, which is just, um, uh-huh. uh, it's like rsync with like a pirate logo, but it's essentially just, uh, a GUI interface to a Unix, um, command called rsync, which sort of incrementally does a backup or incrementally like syncs to, uh, folders together. So I have three drives. One is my two drives are like my what I call my archive so one is a duplicate of the other um and I back that up about once a week and then and then I have a time machine backup that just is pure time machine so I I lost my time machine drive which is kind of no big deal because I really just only use time machine in an emergency um but yeah it's uh you know no no artist's life is going to have we're not going to have smaller hard drives in the future you know <laughs> you know like it's just going to keep going unless we end up doing some sort of uh you know was it uh, is it the iPad now you can install things beyond the space that exists on your drive and what it does is it it shovels off the apps you don't use to the cloud to your iCloud account uh. Yeah, and then no, and then in real wild. time, like when you tap the app, it goes and fetches it. Cool. It does, it does some pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. I like that. To, yeah. So but, maybe our lives but, will get easier, but but that was a good example where you're you're being very cautious about all these backups, but then ultimately your time machine was not backed up, backed up right because it was still only in one place. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I don't my time machine I really only use as like a, oh my god I just accidentally deleted this thing you know mm-hmm. like so uh, losing my time machine drive doesn't really give me too much of a panic because I just you know like it's if it takes three days to order a new drive and get one in it's no big deal mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um, sure. where if I lose an archive drive I get nervous real quick because I only have then one other drive and then everything's gone. Right. So. You guys are way more conscientious than I am about this stuff. I, I, I'm like, I'm the, have the equivalent of like bars of gold hidden under my bed. 
<laughs> I have a seven-year-old Acer tower that has like several areas of my art life on there that I just never, um, never hook up to a monitor <laughs> or plug oh, sir, now or, or plug in. Um, and most of my important stuff is on the cloud or already on my website or in my Dropbox. So yeah. if 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 my house burnt down, I would be fine. But there would be some stuff that I would be missing. But would I really yep. miss it is what I ask myself. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. But but I know that's terrible. Um, but it feels <laughs> secure to me somehow. I, I don't know why. Uh, For no real reason, no like actual reason that's, you know, practical in any way. <laughs> well, th think about it. This uh, this iDrive subscription, I think, costs all of like five bucks a month. Um, and I don't know that you can get things back all that quick, but that's kind of not the point, right? I mean, it's just yeah, knowing right, that right. It's, it's backed up somewhere else. But uh, it's been it's been cool to work on the automation stuff. That's yeah, that's new to me, and it's it still seems like a magic trick when I check and I see that you know Time Machine is doing something by itself at random. Yeah, awesome, Sarah. So. Uh, traditionally we would have modeled for you how this typically works, but I thought I would just interject really quick because okay. Taylor, Taylor flipped the table on, uh, on this one for yeah, this episode, it. which is, it's totally great. No, awesome. No, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have the Slack, uh, you, you yeah. joined our Slack channel. So typically what a person would do would just upload their link or stuff to that channel. Okay. And then Taylor and I will kind of dig through it without your, um, super, Input. super involved participa participation, you know? And yeah. then, uh, and then we'll sort of stop talking, and you can uh, respond or tell us we're way off base or or whatever. Or sometimes we'll be like Taylor, Sarah, we need a lifeline. Okay, we, we got to here, but, but we're stuck here <laughs> yeah, or whatever. So cool, awesome. Unless okay. you want to consider doing that super fascinating thing I just did, where I just say a bunch of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think you're going to guess, but. Maybe you will. Oh, challenge. Yes, I, I put down the gauntlet <laughs> and I'm pressing return to Slack you my link. Awesome. Uh, Taylor, do you want to kick us off? Sure. So I'm looking at a Flickr album and uh, the title text uh, gives us a good boost right off the bat, which is... 12-inch cubes, experiments in miniature infinity room installations. So it looks like we're looking at models of installations that could be kind of like proposal models. Now, what are you seeing, Rob? Yeah. Um, huh. So, yeah, 12 inches by 12 inches by 12 inches, experiments in miniature infinity room installations. Uh... Oh, yes, there are s some very intriguing, I'm not sure what the right word might be, a mirror cube where it feels like one of the sides um, of the cube is not a mirror, but then the other sides of the cube are, and so... Ironically, I was talking a little bit about this before where in Sarah's work before and in this, it seems she's using the mirror as this way to kind of um, disrupt 
uh, architecture or the sculptural objects to sort of push it out beyond its physical, pure physical appearance. And um, it looks like there's one I have to call out, which looks like is starfish. Um, this sort of really great geometric a starfish texer, tesseract. <laughs> yes, the, uh, I think a sea star is the proper term for that that starfish. Um, because it's not a fish. Uh, I got I used to get dinged at that in biology class. But uh, uh, and so the mirror is creating um some really nice repeating forms, geometric. Uh, yeah, that's really cool. But we also have some more landscape uh, style photography, which is creating a um, a reflect the mirrored surface of the f- kind of floor of the cube is creating almost a water like effect, mm-hmm. um, which is really nice. I'm also responding a lot to the ones near the bottom of the gallery, where in addition to the mirrored material. Yeah, the uh, so the way that Sarah is choosing to frame a particular photograph causes some of the elements in the photograph to repeat because of the mirror. But then in other cases, the way in which a piece of twine or wire or whatever it is, kind of fluorescent yellow, the way it runs across the image, it's not always reflected. Oh, so in some yeah, in some cases the the reflection is quite clear, and that's that would ground an image for me more, where I feel like I understand what's happening there, and it it my eye leaves sooner. But then there's other images that I'm spending a ton of time with. For example, I don't know if I'm going to be able to communicate, Rob, which one I'm looking at, but there's there's a great one where the mirrors are very active, and yet the piece of twine is not reflected in what it appears to be reflected inconsistently across the image. Yes. So you see her I, yep. taking the photograph, and there are these reflections, and then what appears to be maybe some printed matter inserted into the space. And I like how it really, really complicates the space, and I feel like yep. that photograph, to me, is the is the most satisfying product, right? Because I could imagine encountering this in reality and not having that exact same... Like, I feel like the, the composition of the photo is part of what lends it that really mind-bending aspect. So I'm interested, once we start talking to Sarah about this, if the photos are the product, or if they're all more of a uh, kind of conventional proposal for an actual space that would be, you know, made larger, for example. Right, right. Yeah, I like that the mirror... The mirror mirrors do a funny thing where they flatten the space, but also make it deeper, which is a, mm-hmm. a conundrum, Bend you know? Too. Yeah, 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 which is really nice. And that is definitely coming through in the photography as well. So, Rob, how is this swallowing the frog is what I want to know. Uh-huh. Because she said we would, we would be able to guess it. Well, Sarah did hint that this project was one that it is a... She hasn't been creating... Uh, visual work in a little bit of time and so this could be sort of the beginning of a new series or something like that um or just a new set of investigations for her which would be interesting to hear about that's my guess i think you i think you got it i'm gonna hide i'm gonna hide behind you on this one okay (laughs) (laughs) sarah did did rob figure it out 
That's partially it. Uh, oh, partially. But it's, it's like a it's, it's it's more goes to the reason why I haven't been making work um, in the last. Ooh. It's been four years since I made work, and mm-hmm. the reason why is that I after my last piece, I was just starting to develop and then fully developed uh, a chronic autoimmune illness, which interacts. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it interacts with my scoliosis to create really intense chronic pain. And so the whole time, that same time span is when I left the arts and started learning all this tech stuff. And meanwhile, I for three years, I kind of pretty much had to work lying down half the time. And in order to like continue to work full time, had to basically ration my arm time for the rest of my, yeah. day, my day. And wow. didn't really have enough arm time left over to even do things like draw a lot of the time. Uh, and it's starting to get better now, especially after I had it diagnosed for the first couple of years, I didn't have it diagnosed. Um, but I, I, it took me, a, it's taken me until now-ish to just be open to actually considering a different way of working because I continue to like have to be very limited in my physical, like I'm no dragon slayer now physically, like for real. <laughs> like I like... <laughs> I I can't really carry groceries or clean my own house or, you know, there's lots of things I can't. So, like, I'm not sure if I'll be building these giant installations myself anymore. So I I decided to take the Swallow the Frog. I got, literally, I, like, stopped making work because I was like, but I want to still make giant installations, goddammit. So I don't want to do anything until I can figure out how to do that still. So I was like, well, what if I what if I make, like, take one tile? Like, I usually use about 500 of these tiles in a piece. What if I just take one scale of one tile and make a tiny installation that wants to be a giant installation? Yeah. <laughs> so that yeah, was my sure. yeah. that was my my intention and then and then also to just given the how easy that is to uh to make something on that scale compared to the the scale that I've worked in before to just like go crazy with playing with all the things that interest me um in in more intuitive and like throwaway ways than I could when I was doing something giant and just be more free associative, like push ways that I, I'm, I love that you picked up on the, like disrupting your sense of the space and the plane. Um, mm-hmm. Because that's something that I, I was, I, I just gravitate towards and enjoy doing. And I also, I intend these to be photographs, um, which is also, oh. also new for me because Ideally, if you were going to see it, you'd want to be right inside it and be the scale of a little person inside of it. I think I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'd show them like uh, Uh I I really like the idea of making a photograph or a series of photographs from them. Yeah. Um, I've always documented my work really carefully. And I think mostly other people have done it for me, but I've been learning uh, through that process. Um, So I really enjoyed it. the photography part of, of this as well. Yeah, that's yeah. where that comes through. Yep. Especially and then the, the the later photos in this series, there are many tubes which feel scientific and medical, but they have a lot of really interesting light reflections happening in them. It's working really nicely and very cool. Thank you. So, Rob, this is not the first time we've talked about a physical disability on the podcast either it's true yeah yeah i listened to that one oh uh violet 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 yes Mm -hmm. Yes. yeah her work is 
Awesome. It was during that podcast that I learned that um, the first thing that comes to mind shouldn't be, oh, yeah, my body kind of hurts sometimes when I make art. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you can just listen to that story and say that's really interesting. Like, that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, sir, but it sounds like you uh, really uh, embraced this challenge and did something interesting with it. Thank you. Yeah, I had a really, really good time doing it. I do think they work really nicely as photos. Like I, I, I hear now what you're saying. I hadn't, it hadn't really clicked for me until you both sort of underscored the photographic aspect of this and that like the photo is another then flattened. It's like another layer of yep. dimensionality that's sort of altering. Artifice. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. There's also in many of these tiny bits of Sarah in the photo, yeah. like yeah. in the reflection, that I really like. You know, like it's really, it's cool. Her iPhone case is quite clear in that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's no way yeah. to not be in it, so I figured I might as well just go with yeah. it. Yep. Just do it. Yeah. How how do we do, Sarah? Really well. I I appreciated all of your observations because this is super, okay, cool. super new for me, so I I feel like you were very perceptive and um, oh, good. that yeah. there's more happening than I thought was happening. So that's great. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Rab, you got stuff to show us, Rab, my man? I, I, have, a, I have a thing. It's a PDF. It's a very coy PDF with a black first page, so you can't see what it is. Oh, oh, you, <laughs> oh, Rob. <laughs> no spoilers with you. It's like a collection of different different kinds of influences, and you scroll through an image with some large and then some small text that's overlaid over each image. And the large text is the name of the source, which is, for, for example, the name of a band. Death Grips is the first one, and then it's got a list of the characteristics of that band. And then the next one and the characteristics. And as it goes through, it's starting to feel a little bit like a mood board of Rob as well. Mm-hmm. He even uh, mentions that term, yeah. And and kind of like, and then when it gets to things like so, lists of materials too, like plywood and road debris, road signs, silver, pleather, those materials because uh, you have silver pleather sneakers, Rob, high top sneakers. I do. Um, <laughs> and a wood shop. So, uh, so it just—it seems it's starting to just feel like a uh, a self-portrait. Objects, inflatables, functional sound. It reminds me of a, skills. I mean, for those people that are out, you guys are both, have experience in really technical design fields in addition to other things. I've never really worked in a straight-up design um, context, and so mm-hmm. it was kind of news to me. Uh, for example, the Art, the Art Institute of Chicago, they acquired the, um, the design rules for uh, the Obama logo. And huh. so, you know, the little circle with the kind of rising sun over the street or whatever, however you interpret that. But it was interesting to see all the very pedestrian, you know, like if you use it on a white background, do this and make sure it never comes within, you know, a certain number of inches of other text and blah, blah, blah. And so it's reminding me of taking that same kind of strategy for defining 
the essential nature of a um, visual style, but mm-hmm. to apply it to oneself as if you are assessing something that's kind of separate from from you, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, there's a really consistent style guide to the whole thing. The, the rules about the typography and where the images are and the kind of content. Um, um, I'm thinking, I'm just going to do a running stream of consciousness. I'm thinking this is a cosmology of Rob's influences, also because the title at the top says creative reclamation, which to me, I imagine, is him reclaiming his own history of things that interest him. Hmm. I also never think of anybody else but when I see silver pleather listed. Yeah. This is making me think about uh, advertising and the, the kind of the discipline of distilling an idea down to a few words in a good way, like that rigor of, of conveying an, a concept in a very distilled way and then also through typography and imagery, um, like applying that, that rigor to yourself, Rob, in terms of mm-hmm. looking at mm-hmm. different things that influence you. Yeah, so it, it reminds me of the way that we probably all have this thing where there's certain things that we, in our personal practices, do over and over again, even though we know in the back of our minds, well, I'm going to make the same font choice, <laughs> you know, but I'm going to go through, you know, for the 4,000th time and then still wind up on the hex color E7FF00. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's a really cool. I mean, it, it makes me think about applying this to my students too, where I think they all they all feel that they have a really distinct sense of style, but then when called upon to um, articulate it, might have some trouble with that. So it, it's it's cool to think of oneself as a like you have to separate yourself from yourself in order to do this kind of thing. Sarah, why do you think this was Rab's frog? I I think that maybe he's being introspective about his relationship to advertising by using it as, by let, letting its conventions using its conventions as a frame for yeah. a self, for a self portrait. One of the things I'm interested in hearing Rob talk about is some of it to me strikes me as Rob the guy, like like silver and pleather. I don't know yeah. that I've ever seen him use that. In artwork, I know he uses that on his body. Yeah, I've, I've never seen him use it in artwork either. Yeah, so I'm curious to hear, like, yeah, what's the what's the? I mean, are we are we kind of moving back and forth between Rob the guy and Rob the artist and these other sorts of definitions? Yeah, that one sort of surprises me. I almost wish there was more of that. Of which one? Of like Rob the guy, or of yeah, like, yeah, because I, I think there's a lot of that that could be in here. I mean, it's a lot of it's implied, but yeah. then, you know, like what's the deal with Rob's high tops and his haircut? Like, is that? Yeah. <laughs> the... But it's, I think it's also interesting, like to, to say that there's two people who are looking at this, who both have known you, Rob, since yes. around 2004. So, uh-huh. uh, so us looking at this, we can tell that these things map to you in a way that maybe other people wouldn't necessarily. Should we let him off the chain? Hear what he's got to say about this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let it rip, Rob. Okay. Yeah. Y'all, y'all hit on a, a lot of very important 
things. Some of them were things I hadn't totally considered, but now that you've said them, I, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> um, so yeah, so what I wanted to do, so swallowing the frog for me um, was slightly different than your assumptions, but are is very, very, very connected. So um, I think the thing for me about um, art making was I, I've never been rigorous about applying and this came up in our previous podcast um, episode. I've never been rigorous about style. Um, I've only been interested in an idea and sort of executing that idea in the way that it sort of pops in my head at, you know, first glance or, or through, you know, uh, deviations of from that, you know, based on reality. So you're like, oh, I have this idea, and then it sort of shifts and morphs because you become interested in different aspects of the idea or budget or time or whatever sort of shape shape your execution of it, you know. Um, and so I decided the f- the frog for me was actually taking a real chunk of time to create a sandbox for myself an aesthetic to make some real aesthetic choices about work I make in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and also kind of as an attempt to kind of reclaim how, how I feel about creativity and about artwork. Um, Mm -hmm. So I made this document. It's uh, I don't know, 40 pages long, roughly um, that detail my inspirations, uh, and then also detail my skills, like things that I think I, I can bring to those, to artwork, you know, um, whether it's wooden metal fabrication or electronics hacking or 2D design or whatever. And then I started to create for myself a style guide, which um, right now just consists of different typography that I really like and a color palette for myself um, to start working with as a, as a starting place. And then the, at the end of the document, I kind of detail things in the version two of this, like other places I'd like to go with this document, which is to create mood boards um, from sort of my work. So I'd like to create, I would like to create mood boards. And this is sort of a little bit of a first stab at that, but not not a kind of classic mood board, which would be, you know, pulling different work that I like that feels like it maps very closely to my own aesthetic. Um, um, so I'll talk a little bit about just a couple of, and then also I, I didn't, I wanted to detail, but I didn't have time to detail like work that I think is successful, you know, like mm-hmm. that I've done in the past that are places I'd like to dig back into, you know, um, and then also communities and stuff like that. So let me flip. I'm just going to pick a couple just to quickly talk about, um, Peter Blasser. So I have insp- inspiring people. And one of those people is Peter Blasser, who is a person who is a musician and synth ma- maker. Um, and I I love his work so much. Like he makes um, homemade instruments, and those are usually fairly complicated electronic synthesizers. Uh, but he has a whole series that he does that are um, you can print on your laser printer the um, 
circuit board layout and then with a needle poke through the paper and then make um, a pretty cool little small instrument just using a piece of cardboard instead of having to do a bunch of breadboarding and stuff like that. Um, and it's he still lays using out soldered components, right? Yeah, yeah. And and his layouts, though, are these sort of mandala-based kind of layouts instead of being right. classical kind of eagle or keycad style, you know, what people think of as a circuit board. Um, and I love that, like, and he's also a very quirky person, and I love that, like, his, like, you can, f- you you get a sense of, like, what's in his head through the objects he creates, which is really nice. Right. And then the sounds also, so... Um, so I've always really liked his work, and all I think all of these people I tried to pick, I tried to pick them because I think everybody who is an artist has work that when they experience it, they feel themselves in it, even though they didn't make it, you know. Sure. Um, and that for me was sort of my criteria for picking these. Um, I'll pick. Uh. The Knife is a band I really, really, really like. And when I heard, like, the first... When I heard the first song, I don't know when it was that I heard them, I, like, freaked out. Because I was just like, this is the thing I've always wanted to hear. You know, like, <laughs> like when it just, like, is in your face of just, like, being this thing that, like... You didn't know it could exist, but all of a sudden it sort of comes together in all these different ways. And so what I tried to detail in the document is the different things that make me love their work and so for the knife i put down surreal um costumey which i really like about their work uh, they have a very rich sound palette like they go kind of lots of places with the sound um most of it's electronic they're very dancey at the same time being sort of off kilter and wobbly and weird um and they have this interesting component where they're kind of both celebratory and angry at the same time which i really like <laughs> you know <laughs> that they they they're they're mad like do you know the sort of well, you know, speaking of the Beastie Boys, Beastie Boys, you know, had um, Fight for Your Right to Party and then Public Enemy recut that into Party for Your Right to Fight. And I... Oh, I, I think, don't know that one. Oh, wow. Yeah, is, I think it's in... I think it's in It Takes a Nation of Millions. But they... Terminator X scratches that sample. He cuts up that sample on the turntable into Party for Your Right to Fight instead of Fight for Your Right to Party, um, which is really smart and cool. And I like that both of those can exist at the same time, especially in 2017, you know, uh-huh. um, that you can you can celebrate your anger in a way that um, I feel like in most places where we're angry, like Twitter and stuff, that, that doesn't come through. So anyway. Um, but Rob, are you yeah. angry? Yeah, You've good. always just been the nicest guy I've always found. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have a lot of I have a lot of anger. Well, share I just, it with me. I, I want to know more pre- about this. I just press it down into my soul. <laughs> is it? Is it? Is it all in your hair? Yeah, it's all in my hair. Yeah, yeah. It's all in my fashion choices. So I, I used to work in Santa Monica, which is one of my least favorite places. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember how much you would feel intense angst about. Yeah, that. yeah. And now, now I work in Playa Vista, which is also one of my least favorite places. It's actually more of a least favorite place than Santa Monica is. Oh wow. Um, yeah, it's bad. But I really like that in a way because it it I mean, I think art needs to know what it's up against, you know, and that like creative people need to know what they're up against, like whether that's hypercapitalism or just um 
like pop culture and like wealth fantasy gone awry, you know? And um I I that stuff makes me really crazy, but I really like being sort of partially steeped in it because it keeps me on my toes, you know, and kind of keeps me upset in a way that doesn't feel totally draining, but but in some ways it's kind of energizing. So I feel kind of weird because I'm like, all I got out of this two weeks is spitting out a PDF. But like, I think what's nice is it Tell me it does the kind of John Cage thing where it like, it it creates a structure for a new structure for you, you know, or sort of re- is yeah. a kind of release valve on certain things that have been making you anxious. So it's nice to swallow that frog. Do you think that you might like concertina this, like make it ex- expand? yes um there's definitely things i i would like to expand it maybe for a little while through making work you know yeah and then come back to it and kind of figure out what the next steps might be it's really part of the challenge of this podcast is every two weeks i come up with something i wish i could work on more yeah (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. so i'm finally starting to write grants for pieces that are back in the in the catalog so that's kind of cool that is cool yeah that is awesome uh so rob i'm i'm so curious can we ask sarah the big question sarah we we are curious about what challenge you may have have schemed up for us in our next ah okay so this challenge um uh my okay so i misunderstood and i thought i was making my own challenge so then i came uh-huh. up with this idea thinking i would like to do it um and i just moved so i'm really into playing with my own objects in my house so yeah. uh, so the 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 challenge is to uh and also i'm thinking a lot about boundary objects between that stand in between different cultural cultures that help bridge understanding um because oh. that's happening a lot at work right now like through visual artifacts um uh-huh. so i was thinking about like you could take like taking uh as a source material the cosmology of your book collection and put uh-huh. picking out the the concepts from favorite books that are the most like yeah. pointed and just that stick out the most and then translating those concepts into another form. That sounds great. Wow. Okay. Rob, you're going to have your work cut out for you. You guys have quite the library going, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You guys yeah. have so many books. I mean, I don't, yeah. I wouldn't suggest like all of the books, but maybe just like the favorite ones or the most recent ones or the, the all the red ones or like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, if we were to, so one of the um, kind of framing things that we do on the podcast is the show title becomes the challenge. Okay. That wasn't very short. Right. Right. So, so <laughs> you're, 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 you see where I'm going with this. So do you have a thought, about if it was to be a a sort of terse you know between one and six words i have one if you go for it yeah i i i, I like to hear you i really like that you said that um the cosmology of your book collection 
which I thought was a cool. Yeah, I dig kind of, it. It kind of encapsulated. Yeah. That, but. Uh, yeah, because it is that sort of implies that you would transform it somehow uh-huh. and describe yeah, it in some and, other way. Yeah, and like the bigger world of what's there, which is really nice. Um, but I do think it's. I really like that what you're you're interested in in us pursuing is a translation or interpretation of the of the ideas in those books into another form. What about interpreting the cosmology of your book collection? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Cool. Excellent, All right. Sarah. I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sarah, do you have anything you would like to share with the audience? Like tools you think are cool, music you're listening to, videos you've watched, concepts or ideas you've just learned about? Any yeah uh Any juicy topics i guess there's three like that would be links uh great one is um a link to a talk by this systems engineer at jpl called gentry lee which i shared with you before rob like that's oh uh, yeah uh a whole discipline i never knew existed and he's hilarious and it's it, it he talks as if you too could be an you could be designing missions at at NASA and he breaks down all the different parts and makes it sound like you could do it. So that's pretty exciting. Um, uh, that would be one. Another one would be, (laughs) um, because of my current transition in, uh, acceptance of my physical situation, I've been binge watching, um, all the Marvel superhero TV shows. Uh, so that would be the thing (laughs) I'm doing with my spare time. Um, that would be the other thing. And then finally, I would is just... There one that, is there one that I really like? Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm selfishly asking that question. <laughs> I, I, I like all of, all of the ones. Like, I really like the Luke Cage and Jennifer Jones and the Iron Fist and Daredevil. Uh, uh-huh. But of those, my favorite one of those is, is Daredevil because he's constantly questioning whether it's good to have superhuman powers or whether you're just being way too hard on yourself. Uh, yeah. to, to expect yourself to have superhuman powers. So that's been very cathartic for me, especially since working at NASA still feels kind of superhuman to me. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so that. And then the third one is I just learned about this a couple of weeks ago. So it's Rocking My World, uh, the Federal Student Loan Debt Forgiveness Program. Um, if, yes. you, if you work for a nonprofit or government, you can forgive your your balance after 10 years of payments based on your income. Does um, that include universities? It includes universities, and it doesn't have to be continuous. You can have breaks. So well, you can I add better it all go up. look at that. I might qualify for that today. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yep. man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, so... that, uh, that goes the way of the uh, elephant trophy protections. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yes. yes. So I just... Yeah, that's the 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 website that's rocked my world the most in the last couple of weeks. Wow, cool. Yeah, man, I've got nothing on that, Rob. I mean, <laughs> I, I kind of laid all all my stuff out. I mean, you know, QNAP and NAS rated hard drives and iDrive <laughs> and this and that. So yeah, that was all kind of contained in my little thing. 
Yeah, sounds good. I've got three. Um, the first one is a podcast. It's called Out of the Blocks. It's a WIPR podcast out of, um, uh, uh, I think that's Baltimore. Let me just double check. Yes. Um, it, is it another prison podcast? Uh, well, it's about Baltimore, as as all things are <laughs> these days. Um, it is such a great concept and so well executed. So they, it's called Out of the Blocks, and the two people who do it, um, Aaron Hinkin and Wendell Patrick, take a block of Baltimore and just do like a ton of interviews and talking to people and hanging out um, and listening to music and stuff. And then they make an episode from their experience of that block. Uh-huh. And so um, I'll read you the first, their, for their description of the first episode, just so you get a sense of what it is. First episode is the 3300 block of Greenmount Avenue. On the 3300 block of Greenmount Avenue, you'll meet store clerks and restaurateurs from all over the globe. Pakistan, Mali, Korea, China, Thailand, Eritrea, and the Ukraine. You'll also meet born and bred Baltimore entrepreneurs, barflies, and street corner preachers. And what's nice about it is um, they really do this cool job of like commingling music and sound design and other things into the interviews. So um, it's um, I don't know if either of you have read Studs Turkle's Division Street, which is uh. to me must must be indirectly or directly an inspiration for this, which is. Suds Turkle walked Division Street a number of times and interviewed people all up and down it uh, in Chicago. It's oh, a great cool. book. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's so good. Um, uh, and y'all will laugh at like the gentrification that's happening down Division Street and just like how <laughs> unlike Division Street <laughs> it is today. So it's really worth reading. But, um, um, but what's cool is like it's more than just um it 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 it's it listens more than like just text on a page you know like it has a lot more atmospheric um qualities to it which i really like um so anyway it's called out of the blocks really good um it's also like not sequential so you can you know listen in any episode at any time and it doesn't matter which is nice (laughs) um i got a very small screwdriver that i'm really into which is a a lame thing but it's really cool (laughs) it's called the Nico N E I K O um mini rationing screwdriver and it's like meant to be a close quarter screwdriver so you know when you're always like trying to stick your hand up into a thing to get a screw out but your screwdriver doesn't fit this is like a little mini ratchet that's got screwdriver bits on it and it's um I got it a couple weeks ago and it's already come in handy a number of times Wait so it's a it's a ratchet and a screwdriver with different screwdriver bits yeah, it's wow. like if you imagine like a wow. socket set, like the sm- a very very small socket set ratchet, like the size Aww. of maybe a lollipop or something like that. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's so cool! But it, it has screwdriver bits on the end instead of ratchet bits. Wow! Uh, which is really it's really pretty awesome. That yeah. is that is <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's quite cheap. Um, and then the third thing I got is. I splurged and bought a can of Montana gold spray paint and (laughs) Montana gold spray paint is, is sort of known in the sort of um, graffiti community as kind of the, you know, Versace of, of spray paint. Uh, Yeah. The gold standard. Yeah. Yeah. And it is awesome. 
Um, there's Montana Gold and there's also Montana Black. Montana Black is a much faster drying spray paint and it's also under higher pressure, so it comes out a lot quicker, which is good if you're, um, you know, a street artist, graffiti artist, whatever. But it is like, I'm only ever used to like home store cheap spray paint and it's been really nice and they have about, I think it's over 200 colors. Um, they sell it at like Dick Blick and stuff like that. So it's not, you know, super hard to get or anything, but, um, if you need to paint something and you want it to look really cool, good spray paint actually matters, <laughs> which I didn't know. So that's my third one. Yeah. It's, awesome. it's, it's hard to sort of square your punk rockedness with your newfound ability to buy the most expensive spray paint, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean you, so you but one's, one's punk, yeah. punk rockedness. So you can have like death to the war pigs down in like, you know, <laughs> Gold. really bougie spray paint. Yeah, right. <laughs> but if you do it in, in Playa Vista, then it has yes. more tension. Boom. That's right. That's right. I'm using the master's tools to disable the master's house. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. I have a few just wrappy uppy things. Um, uh-huh. You can find photos of our finished projects at our project site called projects.opposablepodcast.com. We have links in our show notes as well. And we'll, I think we're going to have a ton in this episode, so that should be good. Uh, and we'll be posting project photos and other stuff to our Instagram account. Sarah's photos are going to look particularly awesome on our Instagram feed, if that's cool with you, Sarah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, totally. Great. Yeah, uh, you can listen to episodes directly at opposablepodcast.com, and you can subscribe uh, with iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, and all the other podcast app platforms. Uh, we'd like to send you a sticker if you'd like one. Uh, just share an episode of Opposable Thumbs with a friend or family member. You know, what What better thing to give a family member than some episodes of a podcast that you can get for free? The gift of podcasts. The gift of podcasts. It's what the, it's what the season's giving is really all about. <laughs> it's, uh, anyway. It's, it's, the, it's the thought that counts. Yes, yeah, right. I thought that counts. Uh, our uh, logo is created by the Mighty Wolf Mask. You can check out his work at wolfmaskart.co.uk. Uh, and if you're in need of really cool, weird graphic design and art in your life, um, his website is a great place to go. Uh, we'd like to give Nick a shout-out as our top Patreon supporter. Thank you, Nick. Uh, if you'd like to join Nick in the League of Patreon Supporter Badasses, please go to patreon.com slash thumbs to sponsor us. Anything you can donate really helps. Uh, one thing I'm going to put in right here is we are on episode 20. And yep. so we have asked previous guests to send us a little sound file to tell us what they've been up to since they've been on the podcast. And so hopefully right here, bam. Hey, folks, this is Megan Trainer in Seattle, Washington. I've been working on building electronic circuits and robotic systems as if witches have been doing this since the Middle Ages. Uh, I'm working with potatoes, bones, copper wire, paper, beeswax, and conductive inks I'm making from burned plant material. My goal is to say that if we can trace science back into the very occult practices of the alchemists, we should be able to trace the creation of some kind of automata or mechanical life forms to the female builders and healers that would have been their peers during that time period. 
I'm also helping local Muslim rapper Jamil Suleiman, who does a Jesus impersonation at local city council meetings, plan a Christmas party to feed the houseless. It's called Josh Day, and it's just a big party. Uh, This year, Nikita Oliver, who ran for the mayor of Seattle, will be there to do some spoken word. There's going to be a ton of entertainment. Personally, I still haven't decided if I'm going to go dressed as the Virgin Mary or the Witch of Endor. Anyway, great to see that Opposable Thumbs is still going strong. Hi, everybody. This is Hung Lo. And what have I been doing lately? I have been avoiding emails a little bit and trying to slow things down since it's the end of the year and it's been a really busy fall. I haven't been too successful in that. But um, let's see, getting ready for a couple of exhibitions, one at Weinberg Newton, if anybody's in Chicago, that will open at the end of January, and then another one at the Station Museum in Houston that will open beginning February. But um, also just trying to find a good um, space in Chicago to to um, fabricate things, a good space with um, nice equipment, nice people, something that's more inclusive of women and people of color. So if you know of anything like that, let me know. I'll talk to you soon. Been enjoying the episodes. Bye. Hi, uh, it's Dan. I'm calling to uh, let you know what I'm up to. Um, I've been preparing along with my collaborator, Joey Canizero, um, as the Best Friends Learning Gang, an upcoming amateur hour on irrational medicine and specifically mutant DIY gene editing. So, um, um, yeah, that's what I've been up to. Um, That's it. Thanks. Bye. Hey, this is Federico. I was a guest on episode number eight. One thing I had fun doing this November was a challenge that consisted of making something every day and posting it with the hashtag MakeVember. And I made a lot of small kinetic sculptures and each one of them used some of the wood blocks I had left over from the Opposable Tom's project. And I used a lot of simple materials like popsicle sticks and paper clips and paper. And I find paper really fun to work with because it can behave as a spring or a string or a beam and you can easily make hinges and three-dimensional shapes. And I was very happy because it gave these little machines a very organic feel to them. Um, so take a look at my Instagram account or Twitter account at Wolfcat Workshop and leave me a comment telling me which one is your favorite. Okay, bye. This is Matt Steinke. I'm gearing up to start practicing for my robotic Christmas music concert benefit, which happens every year here in Austin. And I'm also building three models for three new robotic musical sculptures, which I will be exhibiting in April. Hey, Opposable Thumbers, this is Eric from Root Simple. Congratulations on your 20th episode, and thank you for having us on. Inspired by you guys, we're working on a lot of jigs around here and getting the workshop a lot and applying a lot of reverb. Just kidding. Anyways, congrats again, and you can find us at rootsimple.com. Hi, everyone. This is Violet Juno in Oakland, California. I recently got back from the Poetry Center in Tucson where I performed excerpts from a book I'm writing on performance in the body. And I performed while wearing a mesh bodysuit that I painted with my internal organs. And I think the 
performance is going to end up in the book. So it was kind of a really great double helix moment where the book begat the performance, which in turn twisted itself back into the book. Um, and I have to give a nod to Opposable Thumbs because the idea to paint the mesh fabric came from painting the giant silk flag on episode 13. So thanks, Robin Taylor. I love how the podcast unfolded and inspired future explorations for me. All the best to you. Hi, this is Ranjit. I'm walking my dog, and this year I've been seeing Bidens in the park, and the dog gets some stuck to his face. I never saw Bidens in the park until this year, so I blame Eric and Kelly and their Bidens bomb for this. I've been working, actually, I just finished a novel for National Novel Generation Month, the challenge where you write a program to write a novel, and now I'm trying to figure out what to do next. If any of you have lines on fun artist residencies or crazy exhibition opportunities, please let me know. You can find me on Twitter. That's the only place I remember to actually post anything these days. If you want to see my novel or my dog, that's twitter.com slash Ranjit. One of the things we've we've talked about before and wanted to always do with the podcast is keep keep supporting each other's work uh, because so much of the art world can sort of feel like a one and done kind of life where you have a show or you do something with someone and then your sort of uh, life trajectories split apart. You don't get to sort of keep, keep that going. So we're trying to make sure we um, support the artists who have been on our show before. Uh, We have a, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully, hopefully they'll reply back. It is a little bit of a hassle to call. We have a phone number we set up and people call in. So we'll see how that goes. I'll bug them tonight about, about calling back in, but we've gotten already quite a few. So it's good. Our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter or religion, or lack thereof, and we actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. You can check out our full code of conduct over at our site. Sarah, thank you for being on Opposable Thumbs. Thanks for having <laughs> we're really me. Psyched. Yeah, we're really psyched that you came on and your um, new new trajectory new new creative trajectory that we got to um experience uh tonight yeah. was really great so, thank you it was yeah, cool. really awesome and a great a great opportunity to really really try something yeah yeah it's it's we're excited to see more from that and we're excited that on episode 30 to have you call in and be like i've done all this stuff since episode 20 <laughs> look what you uh, started so, yeah. Yeah, yeah awesome um do you have any links you'd like to share so people can check out your work or anything coming up that you want to share? Um, I don't have anything art event wise. It's kind of a watch mm-hmm. the space situation for me right now whilst I, Great. uh, I'm a, a JPL brain sponge, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, just my artwork, which should I say the URL or just put it in the, please say the, so it's my name, my name.com, which is Sarah Schnad, S C H N A D T.com. And then I have the dot me is also my design work too. It's fun talking to you guys virtually as opposed to the many times I've talked to you both yeah. together together in person. In person, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's yeah. funny how in this format, I mean, really all there is to do is talk for two hours. And that's, that's something that's yep. hard to do in, yeah. when yep. everyone's yeah. sitting in the same space, you know? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I feel like somehow we're all more charming doing it like this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
Oh man, my my end just went down on the keyboard. That doesn't bode well. <laughs> now only the most popular consonant. 